0: Hello and welcome to another episode of what we talk about when we talk about tech. I'm Rich and I'm here with Jennifer as always. And this week we're speaking to Austin Gunter who leads marketing at Shoreline. Austin, how are you? Welcome to the show.
1: Hey Richard, Jennifer, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, I'm doing great. Things are, things are warming up in the world where I am and, and the vaccine is rolling out. So lots of stuff to be grateful for.
2: I love that this year we are definitely setting, in 2021 we're setting small goals. For enjoyment and finding more joy in life.
1: I think that whenever whenever things in life are like taken away from you, it's a really great opportunity to um, to, to look at what you do have and be thankful and, and reassess what's actually important in your life. And I, and I think we've all gotten an opportunity to do that for the last 12 months now.
0: Yeah. Uh, maybe the best place to start off is just for you to give us an introduction
1: to who you are and like what you're doing at the moment at Shoreline. Cool. Yeah. So, so my name's Austin and I help developer tools, DevOps companies roll out, go to market. I've done this for a handful of early stage startups. There's a company called Get Ambassador. It was Datawire when I was there that has a Kubernetes API gateway. And I was at Gremlin for about three years. I was the first marketer there and helped build the team out. And now I'm at Shoreline, which is another really early stage developer tools company. So I I tend to come in as the first marketer, at least so far in my career. We'll see what happens over the next 10 or 20 years. But I tend to come in early, help out with messaging, positioning, brand content, and then build out the early growth framework and and then start to build the the go-to-market team as the company gets traction and figures out how to sell and who to sell to and and what that story is um, as the company grows.
2: Do you have a technical background at all?
1: No, And, and people ask me that all the time. I got a degree in writing and have usually maintained some level of like God mode admin in GitHub repos for websites. So I end up approving pull requests and engineers, for whatever reason, take me seriously when I when I ask them questions or, or market things <laughs> to them. But nobody ever wants me pushing code anywhere that 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 really matters. But I've learned, I've learned a ton about all of this technology, you know, being in, you know, being in this industry for the last however many years I've been here. And it's become something that that I'm pretty excited about. And one of the things that drives me me about the uh, about devops in particular was i like working for companies that i think are actually building useful useful tools and the people in this industry the folks that are actually building these things they're building infrastructure they're building plumbing for the internet they're building you know it's in, in a lot of ways it's the equivalent of having you know your uh, your electrical utility or your, your water utility like we are super like the you know we're on zoom right now zoom it, it has a whole team of, of folks that any developer company would be you know offering tools or trying to trying to Support. those are things that, that keep the keep our our world moving today and i love getting to i love getting to help those people do their jobs more efficiently
2: when you're joining teams or considering joining a team a lot of these concepts maybe the first time you've heard about them like chaos engineering or kubernetes back in the day things like that how do you know that these tools are useful or how do you what is the first question you're asking a company to understand if you can't like rich and i also aren't using the tools and how do you ascertain that they're useful and good.
1: Yeah. So the, I mean, the pattern has been so far is, is I look at the people in the company and, and I look at the, I look at the technology second. And I feel like, I feel like I've done a relatively decent job of getting connected and getting to know founders who have solved these really important, but really challenging problems. I like, I mean, the last two companies, have, like, you know, Riman was, was Amazon and Netflix and, and the founder of Shoreline was, he was, he was a VP of engineering and uh, managing a lot of Amazon's databases for seven or eight years, something like that. So, I mean, part of it is you can, you can look at the work that people have done and, and, and validate that those are those are real problems. Now, of course, the caveat with that is, you know, just because Amazon has a problem doesn't mean everybody else is going to have a problem because there's only one Amazon. And that's that's part of what makes the game really fun at the early stage is, you know, you're working across the entire company and it's, a, and it's a small company, but you're working with you know the engineering team and the product team to figure out where this problem fits in with the overall DevOps ecosystem. And the way that I've started thinking about this, and I don't know if it's the right way, but I've started thinking about the, this whole world this way is your fan companies, your Amazons and Googles and Netflixes, and, and you know now Stripe and Slack. They're sort of like pushing the limits of what's possible in order to solve all these cutting edge problems. And then you have to look at the everybody else in the industry, like sort of figuring out how to catch up with these things. And they're solving problems as they emerge inside of their organizations. And so from like a, a go-to-market marketing perspective, one of the bets that I'm always taking whenever I join a company is that I am betting with my feet and, you know, the next handful of years of my life that this is the problem that a lot of people are going to have and therefore want to buy something to solve the problem. And 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 like as a marketer, I I don't have any, I've been at companies, like the, the first company that I joined was a company called WP Engine. And people were just like buying that off the shelves. And it almost didn't matter what we did to be noisy from a marketing perspective, because once we got people on the website, once we got people into the software, they would just buy more and more and more of it. And so the ROI on anything that we did was really high. And as a marketer, you sort of have to always take that stuff with a grain of salt because it, everything comes down to the engineering and product work that got built And then marketing is designed to to support all that. But, you know, DevOps makes that really interesting because it's constantly evolving. The market's constantly evolving. The problems that people have are evolving. So you got to figure out something that people actually need in this space.
0: That leads me nicely onto Shoreline. And so I don't think you've been there that long but I want to ask you how long you've been there now and what attracted you to the company given kind of everything you've just been saying
1: yeah it's a really good question I always try and sort of like build on the experience that I've had at you know like at the at the previous company shoreline works to help automate a lot of what I think people are calling day two operations inside of their inside of their systems so like monitoring maintenance troubleshooting work that is just getting more complex as we go from like vms into containerized and then serverless workloads there's a of really amazing automation that's happening inside of GitOps and inside of Kubernetes, but those don't solve every maintenance issue that could cause an outage or causes toil for the operational team. Things like resizing disks or working with your databases or, or rotating your security certificates. There's a lot of that work that's still done manually, doesn't get fixed with a configuration change or just bouncing a container in Kubernetes. And Shoreline has a product that both automates a bunch of that work away from an operational team in a really safe, Safe, um, and secure way. And then as well as part of our tool suite, we also have what I think is like a modern day debugging and troubleshooting system. And we can get into that, but but troubleshooting across these distributed systems, we're using tools that are you know 20 years old to, to do that really complex work. So that's what Shoreline does. And I joined as much as anything, because um, I got excited about the problem based on what I had seen at Gremlin and what I'd seen at, at Datawire, get Ambassador, And I started spending time. I'm with the CEO and founder, his name's Anurag. and you know, I said that you know people are really important to me. And he—he's building a company that with a like he has a very high EQ, and he's just an incredibly thoughtful human being that came across in the interview process. Um, there were a lot of other people who joined the company purely to work with him, and, I, and as much as anything, I knew it was an opportunity to to work with somebody that I considered an amazing executive and, and multi multi-company founder and, and leader. Joining this company
0: at quite an early stage, you sort of talked about kind of how you approach these quite new topics and new concepts. Could you sort of talk us through your process when you joined about kind of learning about the company, finding out about the challenges they were trying to solve, like how did you actually practically go about that?
1: I wish I had a really formal answer for you, but the way that I, I tend to work is I just, I, I immerse myself as much as possible. So I started over the holidays and, and took a little bit of a break to to be with family, but was actually spending my mornings working with our CTO so that he could show me the product and and talk me through the problem space and, and reading the documentation. You know, anytime there's something complex that, you know, you're not familiar with, or you're not working with in, in your day to day, the only way that I know how to do it is just kind of jump in and start experimenting or start learning things or in my case, start writing about it. And, you know, I I would take what I had learned, write about it with an attempt at producing a content strategy or the the blog post, or or the homepage messaging, which we're still totally iterating on right now and just trying to be wrong as quickly as possible and and learning that way. And in the past six weeks, I've been spending an exceptional exceptional amount of time talking with potential customers or prospects and just getting on a call with them. And, you know, like, I think a lot of this stuff with, with startups and with tech anyways. It's like, understand your customer, have empathy for your customers. So I don't know if this is new, but it's a lesson that I keep learning over and over again, which is walk into a conversation, asking for feedback, asking for people's perspective, understanding their problems, and then go back, make revisions to your assumptions, to your hypotheses, and then rinse and repeat on your way to finding, you know, messaging that works, finding the, the marketing tactics that work and finding, you know, product market fit. And the whole company is um, having a great time, like connecting with customers. Like we're, in, you know, we're installed in our in our first handful of, of beta customers right now, and they're using the product and, and giving us feedback, um, and we're getting to learn from them right now.
2: That's interesting because what you're describing is also kind of the same pathway as chaos engineering of hypothesizing, testing, reviewing, and then doing again. So it's rubbed off on you. There's creatures that are afraid of water at Kremlin. So you said hashtag keyword, go to market quite a bit. What is go to market? And what you're describing a lot of sales processes too. So I'm super intrigued. Yeah. How about you define for our listeners what it is and what it is to you?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, so I do marketing, right. But marketing is a part of a, of a much wider picture about how a company brings itself to market and commercializes its technology. So, you know, like I tend to think about it from the perspective of like whatever stage the company's at, like seed stage, A round, B round, C round. You know, like C to A round, you're figuring out product market fit. And so the, the parts of your go-to-market that matter are what messaging is resonating. What are the problems that you're solving? What are the use cases? Which features do you prioritize? And, you know, you want rapid customer feedback and iteration, the, you, you, the things that you're optimizing for are, are learning and exposure to you, to the right user rather than revenue. And then once you start being able to ask the question, "Hey, would you buy this for you know however much money your enterprise software contract is is worth?" Then you can start operationalizing the marketing and sales process. And then I think about that in terms of starting at the top of the funnel with you know awareness, branding, PR, content strategy. The model that I learned around content strategy and product marketing is always like you know you start off as close as possible to the jobs to be done that your users have. So for for Shoreline. Um, we're we're learning what those are right now, but we're thinking about automating run, run books, automating disk resizing, automating security certif- certificate rotation, and things like that. But I think you know, obviously, we're still learning about those. At you know, at Gremlin, the jobs to be done. Like if people were searching for Chaos Monkey, then you know we knew that they were looking for reliability work. They were looking for those for those things. Anytime that you can identify the things that people are searching for right before they're trying to solve a specific problem, you're as close to pain as possible. You're as close to somebody wanting either an open source tool or to pay money for something. And so um, that means you're getting folks who are experiencing the problem that you're trying to solve and you can then get them into the funnel relatively quickly. So, So you start at the top of the funnel and then from there you figure out how to hand off the best type of lead to your sales team, which is why everybody talks about MQL. And you can narrow those MQLs down to a particular set of characteristics like demographic, firmographic information at a company and, and a job title and, and, a, and a persona. And then from there, you just work your way down the middle of the funnel, figure out whatever the hiccups are, middle of the funnel sales process that your sales team and your your technical pre-sales folks work on, the types of assets and use cases and content that you can provide mid, mid-funnel to get people out the door and then... Um, and then you you know you sell them something, and then from there it's it's success and figuring out how to make that a, a virtuous cycle or a, or a growth loop, like people talk about, where your customer success comes in and says like, here are the milestones that that we want to put together. But I think go to market is probably just a fancy fancy term for like the there's there's moves in a SaaS business, like you you have like moves that you deploy at various stages of maturity, and go to market's like the it's the fancy Silicon Valley way of saying like it's time for this part of the of the business to to get implemented. I, I think.
2: So we we mentioned. Hashtag keyword situation. And a lot of marketers are saying that they do go to market strategy, things on their LinkedIn profile and all. How do you make yourself differentiate among other tech storytellers and tech marketers?
1: What's funny about this, somebody asked me how Shoreline found me because a recruiter reached out to me and I laughed about it because, because my, like my, you know, you, you look at people's track record and you're like, okay, well, this person has this track record, therefore I, you know, they're a known quantity and I can trust them to do this, right? My track record looks like the first marketer in the door at a DevOps, you know, seed series A company. And so for better or for worse, that's sort of the, that's, that's how I've, if, if you look at my profile on LinkedIn, like that's what you're going to see. And the, the recruiter that, that brought me over to Shoreline, she and I are working really Closely together because we're hiring a bunch of folks across the company right now, and um, and I was asking her about it, and she was like, "Oh, you have first marketing hire like in one or two of your." job descriptions on LinkedIn. And so, so automatically you were just sort of in the funnel and I was like, okay, great. So I don't know that there's like a, I don't know if there's like any tactics for that. I think it's like figuring out, I I just think anybody, like if, if I was, if I was trying to give somebody advice or somebody was asking me for advice, I would say, you know, what do you want? Not what do you want the next job to be, but what do you want the next job to get you? You know? So what's like, what do you want two jobs from now? And then, okay, you want those things. So the next job, automatically has to, you know, give you the opportunity to have these opportunities to solve these problems. And then one more step back, what do you need to do to earn that right? So that's just, you know, it gets hypothetical at that point.
2: No, but it's true. It's absolutely true. I get jobs based on either my byline or because I have tech storyteller all yeah. over my social media and that's what people are looking for. So find what you're good at and express it succinctly so people can search for it, which is marketing anyway, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> Full circle.
1: I mean, the the best marketing is is stuff that you just, you embody and that you don't have to like, that, that, that comes naturally to you. And, and we can get, and then we start getting esoteric at that point. but But I believe that
0: just to go back to Shoreline really quickly I wanted to ask you about something that we've talked about previous to this podcast and what I want to know is what are some of the sort of challenges around talking about quite early stage organization and also could you sort of talk about that in the context of this idea of Shoreline being sort of beyond Kubernetes or sort of beyond the scope of that domain of problems and challenges. Um, I know, like I said, that's something we've talked about before. I was wondering if you could talk about that in depth for people listening.
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things that everybody's like moving to Kubernetes and, and everybody's moving to GitOps, and I think that there is in in the DevOps space in particular, there was this tweet from from Christian Pasta, who is a field CTO at um, I forget which company he is. He's he's brilliant. He's done a lot of microservices stuff, and he had this tweet that basically summed up. He said like, you know, DevOps company solves all your problems, automates everything, whatever. And I and I laughed at it because it, like I was working on messaging and. I'm like very conscious of trying to be very real about saying, like, hey, new DevOps technology is gonna promise you the world, probably just something else that you're gonna have to glue together in the mess of the rest of your system. <laughs> and you know, you as the operator, you as the engineer are gonna be responsible for this. And like, you know, maybe it's gonna solve one problem, but as with anything, like any sort of complex system, there's always like second order problems that accumulate for these folks. The reason chaos engineering and, and the whole resilience thing happened was because everybody moved to microservices and then suddenly their systems were completely unpredictable and so you needed this sort of like proactive approach and and so like that's just like a, a useful way to think about devops in general is like somebody's going to innovate something it's going to create a ton more problems which is going to create an opportunity for a bunch of a bunch more founders to you know potentially build billion-dollar companies or not so the folks that end up being responsible for these super complex Systems Again, going back to the, the people thing are the like these operators or the platform teams? sometimes they're called SREs. It really depends on the company culture, what their job title is, but their work involves having a lot of access into the root of a system and also being responsible for getting paged, for managing that system, for fixing it when, you know, when, when something goes wrong. And one of the things that's, that's happening right now is we've got like GitOps, which says, you know, you can roll things back or roll things forward to, to resolve issues and, and Kubernetes is basically saying hey you can restart the you can restart the container where the problem is and fix it, which is kind of like the equivalent of like, you know, kick the TV and it'll, the static will go away, which solves a ton of problems, but it doesn't solve everything. And these folks are like, they haven't automated themselves out of a job. They're still probably working too much and a little bit underappreciated sometimes, particularly during an incident, a day in the life of an operator still involves, you know, having to manually resize a disk or cordon drain, a node that is scheduled to be to be terminated. And if there's, a, if there's a proper incident happening, like with the, the you're referencing the really good hug ops article that came out a couple of weeks ago or last week, I think what these folks are doing is they're, you know, they'll get paged. the metrics and the dashboards that should have context for them will come up, but they still end up having to open up a ton of SSH windows in order to get into and get real-time state into these systems in order to properly understand what's happening so that they can thoughtfully push a remediation. And I think that it's amazing that we have all these sort of like, it's called like day one operations things where we wanna get the configuration right. We wanna set up the right auto healing. We want to have tested for various failure scenarios to, to prepare for these things. And I think that that's where, that's where the, the industry is going. And certainly like cutting edge companies that have the resources to do that are, are, are rolling those things out. But there's a massive amount of, I'm gonna use the word digital transformation just cause it gets the point across, but there's a massive amount of this work that's happening going from on-prem to VMs or going from VMs to Kubernetes. And if you're in the process of doing that, which every company that has a computer system is that's a multi-year process and people are at various stages of maturity with that. And even the folks that are, you know, in these that have fully achieved this, they still have incidents, they still have outages and they still need to debug and troubleshoot these things. And there's still a, there's still an opportunity to provide much better troubleshooting tools and to provide another layer of safe, effective automation. So the computers take care of the manual repetitive work rather than again, going, you know, the, these folks, these, these brilliant hardworking operational folks who have too much to do, anyways, um, and that's that's the um, that's the problem that Shoreline is setting out to solve. That's
2: because important because a lot of times DevOps is just about the devs, so it's <laughs> important to focus on the ops too.
1: Yeah they're, um, they're sort of like the human glue holding these, these systems and these companies together sometimes. And, you know, I think they got, I think they get a lot of credit, but I also think that there's still an opportunity to hopefully provide better tooling for them. And, you know, they surely may do that. It may not, but um, I certainly believe in the company. And, and I think about this technology, like my grandmother loves using her iPad and loves using Facebook and, and things like that. And she's heavily reliant on these systems and she doesn't know how they work. She doesn't need to know how they work. Like, I don't know how they work. I probably don't need to know how they work but this is like a central nervous system for humanity at this point and the folks solving these problems are really important to how we exist as a species at this point.
0: Yeah definitely I think that's a really good point and I wanted to kind of also ask you because of the sort of such kind of complex nature of these topics like could you sort of explain how you work inside kind of product managers and engineers and sort of what role do they play in your work and how do they help you?
1: Man I... I don't know how to answer that question other than to say that I work as closely with, with the folks who are building out the requirements or, or writing the, the technology as possible. I've been really fortunate to work at companies where, um, like at Shoreline, our VP of engineering is constantly asking me about like, what are we measuring from a marketing perspective? How can, how can the rest of the engineering team help support things? And I'm seeing a lot of, I, th- there's, I think sometimes marketers get a bad rap in, in certain companies, but I think the, the companies that I've gotten to work with, the technical folks and, and, and the product folks have really cared about how the company gets represented and then includes swag, but it's not limited to swag. And, and they want to know how they can support the growth of the company and their marketing is an incredibly technical discipline at this point. And, and so, you know, these, these folks want to know how they can involve, get involved and, and how they can help. And as a, you know, as a marketer, I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we earn and continue to earn and deserve the credibility of representing the work that these folks are doing. Um, so I ju- I think about it like that, like how do I make sure that whatever we're putting out in the public sphere is something that these engineers are as proud of in the same way that their code is, is, is proud of it. Product teams are always essential for messaging. I need to I need to work with them really, really closely to understand like what the nuances in are of the space, which use cases to prioritize. And then whenever there's a launch coming, the, the product team are integral to telling the story and, and um, getting the features out the door.
2: When you talk about marketing, you talk about the side of marketing that I tend to be Less at, less the creative and more the metric side, the analytical side. You talk about it almost a, a very good way when you're talking to engineers is a mix of art and science what is to you the most important thing to measure to know if your marketing is successful?
1: I mean, let's, let's go back to the go-to-market thing. It really depends on what the stage that you're at, you know? So like, this is one of the, this is one of the areas when, when people talk about like communication and collaboration and culture in a company that's super important is being able to say, Hey, here's the thing that I think is most important for us to look at right now. And here's how I'm going to measure it. So for like a seed stage series, a company, it's like awareness, top of funnel, web traffic, press mentions, things like that. But it might actually you know you you might be earlier than that and getting too much press might be counterproductive because you want to the thing you want to do is just everybody is tools down talking to customers trying to demo trying to get out in front at you know once you've once you've figured out some of the some of the messaging some of the use cases and the product market fit things then what you want to start doing is how you know then it's like which part of the um which part of the core business metrics do you do you want to start looking at? And that's when you start looking at traffic into MQLs into into pipeline. The classic like SaaS pipeline, and any marketer who's listening to this is going to be like, "Yes, Austin, of course." Is traffic MQLs into pipeline, which is you know potential sales for the quarter, and then ultimately revenue. And then you can have more granular conversations like that. But again, it's like, hey, here's the thing. I think I want to measure, and having the having a culture and having people around you who are like, I think you're wrong about that. I actually think this is more important, and not. Not having that be the end of the world makes for a much more successful, productive, happy, happy company.
2: Do you have a favorite marketing tool that you use that you just makes your life easier?
1: The first thing that I always get is is traps for keyword volume and content strategy. That's literally the first thing that I that I that I've got. And then I love HubSpot. Um, I haven't used HubSpot in a few years, but I, I we've got it at, at Shoreline, and you know it's not as customizable as Marketo, but man, can you get a lot out of it for very little upkeep and very little maintenance? And so it I can spend more time on on strategic things rather than than configuration things which makes my which you know makes my life much happier. And then um, I'm also excited about, there's this, I worked at a WordPress company earlier, early in my career. And so I tend to like pay attention to the world of like CMSs and stuff. So I'm excited about this company called Sanity. That is a new, it's a, it's a really, really cool, very modular, flexible CMS that's starting to blow up right now. I'm not using it right now, but, but I know some people who work there and they're in particular, the way that they're doing structured content with the database makes the CMS exceptionally scalable. So those are are my, those are my three shills for other people's companies.
0: Awesome. So you've obviously worked in a number of really interesting startups and technology companies. And from the way you've been talking over the last sort of, 25 minutes or so, it sounds like you are very reflective and very considered in how you sort of approach your career. Uh, but what I wanted to ask was, you know, what, what kind of really drives you and what sort of drives your decision-making about your career, but kind of anything else as well?
1: Yeah, I'm a relatively introspective, thoughtful, thoughtful person. I got into tech because I saw it as a place where I could, I could create my own opportunities and, and I was less limited, probably not unlimited because everybody's got limitations that, that they bring to the table, but it was, it was a place where I could, I could push myself and, and I could see you know, my own personal growth and my world get bigger based on how productive I could be for, for a particular company. And I think that, I think that's, that's really important to me is um, aligning. I think everybody wants to work hard and I think everybody wants to care about what they're doing. And I think that, I think that the more you can align the things that matter to you from a work perspective, you know, like, like I'm a writer and I got a degree in writing and I sort of like stumbled my way into, into tech really early on. And so I, what I was able to do is I was able to say like, well, let me figure out how to take the, the, writing that I do and turn it into a a useful skill for, for tech companies. And that's where like product marketing and and the go-to-market stuff has come from. And I remember really early on in my twenties going, you know, it would be cool. It would be cool if I could help other people tell their stories. And that's kind of what marketing for founders, you know, marketing an early stage company is you get to work really close to the founder who has a baby that they're trying to bring into the world. You know, they've got a vision and your job is to help them realize that. I get a lot out of that. I get a lot out of just kind of like being helpful or taking care of other people. I'm um I'm trying to think what else. Um I'm a I'm a pretty big meditator. And so I've I started meditating when I was 16 years old. And things like that that help me understand myself better, help me to be a more self-aware, kind, effective human being are things that that I care a lot about. And I and I say that as somebody who has done a lot of work in that area and surely has a lot more work too so i'm not trying to like you know come down from the top of a mountain like i'm 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 definitely a work in progress but i tend to always just be like looking at uh what area of my life can i shave a couple of rough edges off in order to hopefully be a little bit less painful to be around for the people that are in my life
0: yeah i think that's a very thoughtful answer and one that I think a lot of us can either relate to or definitely learn from as well. You mentioned that you're a writer and I wanted to ask whether you write outside of work, do you kind of get the chance to
1: do that? I I, I threw up a Substack the other day and I've been writing about meditation there a little bit. I actually haven't written in a couple of weeks. I've got a bunch of drafts that I had that I need to that I need to push out. But there's a couple of blog posts on there. Um, I was I I volunteer for a San Francisco class of third graders to teach them mindfulness. And one of the, one of the posts was about that. A few years ago, I was working on, I I had a lot of people coming to me who were getting started in their careers or um, making career changes. And I realized they were asking a bunch of the same questions and I self-published a uh, a book with, I, I realized that it was like, there were, there were a bunch of things that people didn't realize that they could do to get hired or to get better jobs. And so I self-published it into a book. It's, it's called the liberal arts techie. It's on, it's just on Amazon. So that was, that was sort of like my, you know, like I wanted to, I wanted to write all that down. I wanted it out in the world. And I also wanted to see what it was like to, uh, to force myself to like actually properly write a book, have it edited and then publish it. So in the future, if, and when I want to write something more, it wouldn't be the, the first time that I, that I go through that process. And I've gotten to help other I've, I've helped a couple of friends edit their own books that they were publishing. So yeah, I'm always kind of working on something like that in one form or one form or another. But you know, it depends on on where I'm at in my life and, and how much time I want to want to invest in that. But yeah, writing is definitely a, a, a big part of, of who I am.
0: You made the point earlier, I think storytelling is a really important part of technology especially sort of for early stage companies you know it's not a flippant thing it's a kind of integral thing to like you say kind of getting your your thing out in the world delivering your your vision like without that story it's it's really hard to to kind of make an impact, right? Like the best product isn't going to cut through if you don't have a good story.
1: I mean, yeah, and I think that's, you know, you know that really, really well with the, the you know, you both actually with the stories that, that, that you help other tech companies tell or, or that you tell about other tech companies. So it's, it's cool to be able to kind of chat with you both about it. In my day-to-day, I don't talk to a lot of people who call themselves writers. And so it's always good to be able to swap stories and talk about scar tissue.
2: I'm finding that also, I don't, I'm glad rich invited me to do this experiment with him this podcast uh because I don't actually talk to a lot of people that do the same thing as me and anybody that doesn't do the same thing as us don't really know what we do including my partner <laughs> it's kind of a foreign we're foreign language translators it's just we're translating a different language
1: how do you explain it to your partner
2: I mean he should know by now is how i explain it like you should know by now but uh I listen to people i do tech journalism, whether it's writing or marketing or I translate the benefits, but I I probably don't explain it to him well, but I had to explain it to a bunch of middle schoolers, like a hundred middle schoolers in Seattle yesterday for like a job fair thingy that I was asked to be on. And they were confused too. So if I can't get a 13 year old to understand it, it's probably not the level I'm talking at, but I think it's about asking the right questions writing or translating what people are saying into a lay person's way. And then it could be on any medium, could be on social media, it could be on their website, it could be on a podcast, right? It's a little, I think people are more afraid not of the storytelling, but the tech side of it, and they close down from there.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and I think as well, another thing is that only very recently has it become more obvious what, or kind of, it started to matter more than maybe it was apparent say 10 years ago um i think the kind of in the industry the relationship with the like politics and society are more obvious so yeah that kind of knowledge and understanding is is kind of more and more important so i think people are sort of more alive to how how these stories matter and why telling them is important yeah and ho- hopefully this podcast can like play a part
1: in that one of the things that the, that was that was really beaten in my head in my undergrad was that you know words are meaning And we, whenever we like, whenever we talk or whenever we think, we're sort of like creating meaning and like words are really, really powerful. And I remember one of the things that I've sort of like, you know, had to like self correct on was when I graduated, I was like, oh, I don't want to be a writer because I don't want to be poor. And that was why I got into tech. But.
2: Yeah. It's not untrue. <laughs> it's not <true.
1: laughs> You know, so I'm, I'm a marketer instead of a writer for, for, you know, for pay anymore. And I'm probably a better writer than I am a marketer. But
0: yeah, I think the marketing industry is definitely one place where a lot of writers have found themselves and sort of been able to build a career, I guess. Um, but anyway, that's probably a good place to wrap up. Um, but before we go, um, Austin, have you got anything to promote? And where can people find you online as well?
1: Yeah, I think that, you um, You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Austin Gunter. My Substack is linked off of that. If you want to, you know, if if you're looking for a career transition or know somebody that is, my book, The Liberal Arts Techie, is a it's a pretty good resource for that. Cool. Other than that, you know, I'm at I'm at Shoreline. um, So it's it's Shoreline.io. And um, if what I talked about earlier is resonating with you, then definitely reach out and uh, we'll hop on a call and learn more about what you're building, what problems you have, and and we'll see if we can build out a use case for you or give you a demo or help you in any way.
0: Great. Thank you for joining us, Austin. It was a real pleasure. Anyway, that's all for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode. And yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode and another guest. In the meantime, remember to follow us on Twitter. You can follow us at underscore talkabouttech. And you can visit our website as well, where you can find all of our other episodes. Yes, yeah, so please do check out any earlier ones if you haven't already. Um, our website is Talk About Tech Podcast. There are also links there where you will be able to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can also listen on Spotify, so wherever you like to listen to podcasts. You can follow me as well on Twitter if you would like to. I am at Rich G. Gould. And you can also follow Jennifer, who is at J.K. Riggins. Um, yeah we'd always like more followers so yeah please do get in touch and if you have any feedback or you just like to talk about the episodes yeah we're more than happy to chat to you anyway thanks for listening and we'll see you next week
2: thank you so much